week's edition of the digital download i'm kate hamer i run a marketing and digital consultancy kate hamer limited i've worked in large brands like unilever disney and l'oreal for over 15 years a decade of that in digital and i understand how hard it is to try and keep up to date with all the news and changes in the industry on a weekly basis so this podcast will hopefully help you by giving you a summary of the past week's news and also by discussing key topics in the industry. Thanks to everyone who's downloaded it so far. Please do subscribe. Please leave a review where you can. Thanks to anyone sending me feedback. It's really helpful. Hopefully it is improving week on week. Keep all your comments and questions coming. I want this to be your podcast. So you can tweet me at Kate Hamer Limited. LTD at the end, not the full word, or email kate at katehamer.com. Right, let's get into the news from last week. We've got quite a lot on social media this week, quite a lot around live video and streaming. It's become a bit of a theme unintentionally. Uh, I'll also talk a bit about the Cannes Lions that happened last week, and I'll be ending the show with a piece around the art of the retweet, which is based on a blog that I wrote a few weeks ago. Before we get into individual platforms, it's obviously not been a great week for the UK. I'm not going to get into the ins and outs, Um, no pun intended with that, on the EU referendum this week. But one thing is clear and that is that social media has given much more opportunity to everyone to put their point of view forward and to have discussions about it. I think it also can highlight that you can get in quite a filter bubble if you're just following or conversing with like-minded people. This could be a whole podcast in itself and perhaps I will do one one day. But for now, I think the key things from a a digital marketing point of view on the referendum were obviously Rob Owers from Twitter and Theo Lomas from Facebook were included in the TV shows that were tracking the referendum results through the night on Thursday. I was one of those people who sat up all the way through the night until about 7am. But really interesting that the the data that they're getting and especially in a situation where there were no exit polls the sort of data that they could be looking at in terms of conversations types of people that were having them is really key and it shows just how important those platforms are in today's society you might also have been following google trends who were tweeting a lot of stats so When the BBC coverage first started, there was a 250% increase in searches for David David Dimbleby Thai. And at one point, Dimbleby was searched more in the UK than Kim Kardashian. So uh, I'm sure he's very proud of that. It's really important for businesses, you know, don't ignore these sort of channels. It doesn't mean that you necessarily have to have an account there. But it's definitely a great place to be listening and learning about your customers, what they like, what they don't like, what might appeal to them. And it's really essential, I think, in terms of putting that insight into any campaign planning that you're doing. Social Bakers released some monthly active user stats this week, which might be useful for you. So these are on a global level. So Facebook has 1.65 billion monthly active users. Instagram has 500 million and Twitter has 320 million. On to the individual social platforms. So a few things on Facebook this week. I read quite an interesting blog. Again, the link to the blog is on the companion page for the show on katehamer.com. 
uh, that was saying that Facebook is the party that you couldn't leave even if you wanted to. And this person, Casey Newton, had spotted that as it was leading up to his birthday, his friends were being prompted to create an event for his birthday and being encouraged to invite people and things. And Facebook, I actually find it quite useful when it reminds me of people's birthdays because I'm pretty useless at remembering things like that. But I wonder how much the prompts that it does can start to become annoying and whether people actually realise that they are prompts from an algorithm or whether they think people are influencing it. So I know after my birthday I was getting prompts from Facebook to thank people for their wishes which felt a little bit like my mum trying to get me to write thank you letters. You might have seen this week on Monday which is the longest day that Facebook had posted it's the first day of summer hello sun it's been a while I saw that in the context of a lot of people saying Facebook are you taking the mickey that does make me wonder how sophisticated their algorithm is because I would think they would have been able to tie in weather data for the person's IP address and therefore not be showing that when it was absolutely torrential rain in London but clearly not so just an interesting thought as it starts to prompt you. I also saw someone else show screenshots of how much they've been prompted about Pride and whether they wanted to look at events and whether they wanted to put a message out. Again, I didn't see that on my Facebook, so I wonder if it is targeted at people based on their interests and what they've been Facebook posting about and stuff. But it'd be interesting to see how that develops even further as Facebook get more and more data about its users. Another piece of news from Facebook is that they had a shareholder meeting last week where they agreed to a restructuring of stock which means that Zuckerberg will maintain a majority even if they issue more shares. You know I just said earlier they're at 1.65 billion monthly active users. Uh, they've got more than 1 billion people looking at Facebook every day on their mobile. So it's no surprise really that the shareholders are happy for him to stay at the helm. He's clearly doing a good job. Another piece of news was around Facebook's advertising rules. So you may know if you've done ads on Facebook that there is a 20% text rule for any images that you use in an advert. And they're changing that. They've been testing it since April, but it's now rolling out where they actually won't refuse to approve adverts but they'll have different categories of okay low medium and high in terms of the volume of text on your image and the more text there is the harder it's going to be to get the reach that you're looking for and you might end up paying more so they're still trying to encourage people to have less text on an ad but you won't get it rejected and it also won't apply to images of things like movie posters book covers album covers product images where an entire product can be seen, posters for concerts, music festivals, comedy shows, sporting events, infographics are added onto that, legal text is included, so it should be a bit easier to get your ads through. Obviously, Facebook's rule about the text comes from the way in which people interact with those adverts, so it's still worth not having a super text-heavy image, and also if you want to get big reach then you don't want to do that but it sounds like there's a bit more flexibility there now for advertisers which is good and then finally on Facebook around their live video offering so they have invested 50 million dollars on 140 contracts for publishers and celebrities to stream live over the next year they're also doing research about 
which live streams are going to attract the most attention. Presumably that's with a view to potential advertising opportunities in the future. And they're also making some changes to their Facebook Live offering. So you're going to be able to broadcast from MSQRD or do you say M squared? I'm not entirely sure because I've only ever seen it written down. But the app where you can use filters and things, you're going to be able to use the masks and the effects live. So I presume they're looking for a competitor to Snapchat in that case. And you can also select whether you want to broadcast just to your friends or whether you want to broadcast to the public as well. A couple of other changes to Facebook Live later this summer are going to be one that you can go live with another person remotely. So you could have two screens going where you're perhaps interviewing someone, for example. And you'll also be able to schedule live broadcast notifications for fans of your page. And if viewers tune in early for a broadcast, then they'll be placed in a lobby and then they'll go into it when you start broadcasting. So both of those changes are going to be rolled out to verified pages first but eventually will be rolled out to everyone. So Facebook are really focusing on their live video. On to Instagram. They are adding an auto-translate feature so that user bios and captions will be translated into the viewer's language. To start off with, it'll only be a few languages, but then they're going to expand over time. So they obviously really want to broaden that global reach of everyone's posts. That could be interesting from a point of view of brands who might currently have multiple pages for each market. Maybe you could have a single global page if you knew that it was going to be translated into the relevant languages. I have this debate with clients in that I think because Instagram is quite visual and quite aspirational, it's not that sort of customer service channel that you might get with Twitter. So in some instances, I think it's actually okay to have a global page. It means that you get the whole weight of all followers behind you. It means it's easier from a user perspective because they find the right verified brand page without thinking to type in UK or whatever it might be. Uh, so that could be really interesting if the uh, auto translate feature is rolling out as well. And one other thing that Instagram are doing is, and this is just in the US only for now, but I imagine it will be rolled out wider, is that they're adding a picked for you video section under the explore section, which is based on your interests. And they say that video has grown by 150% on Instagram in the past six months. So again, a real focus for them. It's all about video in today's show. Just a quick one on SoundCloud. They are rolling out suggested tracks, which is similar to Spotify's Discover feature. So they will appear on the Discover tab on the website and they'll be via the search field on the app. So SoundCloud with their SoundCloud Go option are really starting to establish themselves as a competitor for Spotify. And obviously the advantage for them is that they have the digital download podcast available on SoundCloud, whereas that is not on Spotify. Snapchat, nothing from Snapchat themselves this week, but Mark Carroll, who works for H&K Strategies UK, who I follow on Twitter, posted a picture of a Netflix ad on a phone box this week. Again, I've put the image on the companion page on kathamer.com. And this is an advert for Netflix with oranges and new black characters on it and the space to do the Snapchat face swap. And they're encouraging people to do that. So that's a quite good example of an integrated offline and online campaign using digital tools and a actual physical poster 
on a phone box. On to Twitter, a few little things from Twitter this week. One is that they've extended the time limit for videos to 140 seconds. That's both on the Twitter platform and also on Vine. Again, realising the importance of video and giving people more of an opportunity to express themselves. Thanks to Michael John Fosker, who alerted me to an interactive photo on Twitter this week, which was on a Philips UKI post where it's a guy with a shaver and you can swipe your finger to make the shaver go down his cheek and shave his beard. Again, there's a link on the companion page. Twitter have also this week acquired a startup called Magic Pony, which specializes in using artificial intelligence for visual processing. So in other words, it makes live video sharper. So its research is focused on what are the important bits of an image to the human eye and then what can it fill in. And I think this is going to be really significant for video on Twitter because it's usually heavily compressed on social networks and can get quite pixelated. So if they're working with someone like Magic Pony, I think it could really open up the quality of video on their network. And finally, they've launched a new companion app called Twitter Engage which sounds fabulous, but is currently, again, only in the US and only on iOS. It's basically providing real-time data and insights to allow you to understand, engage and grow your audiences. So it surfaces the most important follows and mentions from influencers and loyal fans. It shows your performance, helps you track your tweets and sounds like a great tool to quickly get insight about how your channel's performing and who your key influencers are. Pinterest has snapped up, as they say, the team behind influencer shopping app Tote. So Tote was an app that helped people to buy looks that they saw on celebrities and stuff. This team has been added to the growth and monetization group of Pinterest. So it should be really interesting to look at how they can start to make it much more of a shopping experience within Pinterest when you're starting to create your boards and uh, look at the things that you like on there. Tumblr, we haven't spoken about Tumblr on the show before, uh, but the it's a Yahoo-owned blogging platform for anyone who doesn't know. And they are also getting in on the act with live streaming video, but they haven't created a native solution like Facebook have with Facebook Live. They haven't bought one like Twitter have with Periscope, but instead they're partnering with a few different platforms. So you now, AOL's Canvas, YouTube and Up Close, and they're allowing users of those platforms to share their live streams to their Tumblr dashboard. And then they're also working with publishers like Mashable, MTV, Refinery29 to live stream content exclusively to the Tumblr platform. So everybody is seeing the value of these live streams. It's kind of the new version of reality TV, I guess, in terms of people being able to show what they're doing right now. So again, it will be interesting to see how that works, not being sort of direct into the platform. I think... Again, there's so many different options of all of these platforms. People are going to settle on the one that they feel most comfortable with. And the more that that can be integrated into other people's platforms, the better probably because you don't want to sort of isolate yourself into one area. 
final bit in social media is YouTube and surprise, surprise, this is also about live video. So they are adding capability to be able to broadcast live video from their app. So it's rolling out to select creators first. They'll be able to notify people that they're broadcasting. Chat will be enabled. Sounds remarkably like Periscope. And it's gonna be available all places that the app exists, iOS and Android. I mean, YouTube are obviously the, the first people in video. And so if they crack that, that could be really interesting. They've obviously got some big video channels on there with creators. So if they start to do more live broadcasting, that really does make it like TV. Not too much on the messaging apps this week. There's some news from a, a WhatsApp beta test that's happening at the moment where they are adding the ability to share music from your phone or from Apple Music. So users will receive the artwork in a message and they'll be able to click on that and play it. They're also testing public groups that you can join with a link. So sounds a bit like the sort of groups that Viber have, for example, where you can be part of a, a public chat. That could be very interesting from a marketing perspective because maybe you could have chats around particular sporting events or TV shows that are happening. It gives you more of an opportunity to get a marketing message into those messaging forums. Uh, they are also adding the opportunity to tag people, sort of Twitter mention style within a chat. And it sounds like they're going the same way as iMessage in that they'll have three times larger emoji that you can post into WhatsApp as well. By doing this podcast, I'm obviously looking at the news week on week, looking at what the different platforms are doing. And it is very similar, a lot of the improvements that are being made to each of the platforms, which you could say is copying the competition or you could say is responding to consumer insight in terms of what people are looking for whether all of these channels will still be able to deliver the same service and will still be in the incarnation that they are currently in a year's time, I'm not so sure. I feel like there's gonna be winners and losers and places that people are gonna to gravitate towards and use for a particular purpose. So we will see what happens in the future on that. On to search engines, just one piece of news for search this week and that's around the Google, iOS and Android app and this could potentially be a hypochondriac's dream, hopefully not a nightmare, in that on their app, they are now gonna start surfacing conditions cards at the top of results when people search for specific symptoms. So if you were to search swollen joints, then a condition card for arthritis might come up. So their reasoning behind this is that rather than getting a whole page of potential answers on your SERPs page and clicking into multiple sites and maybe finding incorrect information and deciding that you've got two days to live. This way they've worked with a team of doctors and experts to ensure that results are relevant and the cards will come up at the top rather like the single answers that are starting to appear in search and it will even show how common it is, how to treat it at home, and then whether you might need to see a doctor. So it's rolled out to US users from this week, and I imagine it will come to the UK in the near future. I don't know if they might have to go through any kind of medical regulations over here compared to medical regulations in the US. But I do think it raises a bit of a question though around these single answers that are starting to appear in search pages, because it's gonna change 
the way that we track performance of websites and also the way that we optimize them. So I was speaking with a finance company recently and they were talking about how their pages are surfacing for single answers about um, asset management and things like that in Google, which is great. But if you get the answer from the search results page and you don't need to click through to get anything more, do you actually remember as a consumer what brand it was that gave you that answer? If you're not clicking through onto the site, how does the brand know how they're performing and whether it's helping them from a brand equity point of view? There's obviously only space for one answer, so you wanna make sure that you optimize your site to be that answer, but then how you can encourage any sort of interaction with the searcher in future, I'm not so sure. Again, if anyone's got any views on that, then do tweet me at Kate Hamer Limited or email kate at katehamer.com. Maybe we'll get some search experts on in the next week or so and ask them their opinion on that as well. I saw an interesting article this week on a study that EY have done of 200 plus global retail and consumer products C-level execs to look at how their established business practices and marketing models are perhaps not working anymore. So a great line was that omni-channel consumers are channel agnostic, so you don't know which channel they'll prefer. Another thing is that the level of investment in trade promotions isn't seeing the same ROI because customers can now really search for the best deals and it means that if they're always going to whichever retailer your product's on offer at, then they're never gonna actually want to pay full price for your product. So the the result of this study really was just how key it is to use all of the data available to understand where and how your consumers are purchasing because it can wildly differ based on product category, based on the region that people are buying. So you really need to look at data at a granular level to understand how your products are being purchased. Also, these kind of large consumer goods companies are facing quite a talent crisis. Their established ways of kind of marketing and sales teams are not necessarily right anymore and they need to take a more entrepreneurial approach. There was a great example from Campbell Soup who have launched a $125 million venture capital fund to invest in food startups. Obviously, they're battling obsolescence as consumer needs and interests are changing less into processed food more into making food from scratch or no refined sugar those kind of things so it makes sense for them to be investing in these sort of food startups so that they can look at how their business can evolve in this new world as well just a little thing on apps Microsoft has created a tool called Ulink, which can deep link to pages in an app and also enables you to see your browsing history in the app. So if you're looking in a booking app, for example, at a particular restaurant, but then you get distracted because you get a WhatsApp alert and you go to read that message, you can now easily get back to it. It's kind of like bookmarking on websites. So far, it's only available on Android. Not clear if it's going to roll out to iOS because obviously it's a Microsoft tool, but um, interesting as a concept. And I think as people start to have more information in apps, that kind of tool is going to be necessary. Right. As I said at the start of the show, it was Can Lions last week. 
and uh, it brought up some interesting discussion points. So one was from Paul Frampton, who is CEO of Havas Media Group UK and Ireland, and he wrote a piece for City AM about the importance of creative and media and data working in an integrated way to produce the best possible campaigns rather than being siloed. You might have heard people talking about the mad men of creativity versus the math men of data, but there's absolutely no reason that they shouldn't be working together. Um, it should be technology steered by talent, not talent led by technology, which I thought was a great quote. Uh, he was saying, you know, there's no reason for creatives to be feeling that programmatic is a bad thing. And he's absolutely right. It actually offers a whole lot more opportunity to be creative because you can start to be creative at a more granular level. You can really be thinking about the consumer and targeting your message to them. There was another interesting post from another Havas employee, Tom Goodwin, who posted what he said was a thought stream to ponder. And I'm going to read it out. Apologies, because I think there is the odd swear word in it, but we're all adults. So he said, for an industry rooted in creativity, for me, it's odd to go to the same place at the same time each and every year to meet the same people and most likely and generally talk about the same thing. It's odd to be surrounded by faded 70s architecture and in a country that is genuinely finding change more uncomfortable than most and at a time where the future has never been more explosive, exciting, profound and unequally distributed. It's weird how as a group of diverse people we feel social pressure to do the same as each other and that most of us crumble. If Can really was about creativity, we'd spend less time hanging around advertising people and talking about advertising. We'd move around, meet new and different people, and in cities and regions that are on the edge of change. If you want to be inspired about great advertising and business ideas, why not spend time looking in Estonia, Romania or China? See the drones of Rwanda, the art of Japan, the fucking insane architecture and optimism of China. Why not experience the entrepreneurial thrust from the constraints of India or the business ideas that flourish from a mobile first nation like Kenya or the relentless connectivity of South Korea? If you want to be inspired, visit the back streets of Manila or catch a bus in Curitibia, see the tech startups of Tel Aviv, meet a neuroscientist in Berlin or a behavioural econ economist at a conference where you are definitely the most stupid person there. You don't need another week of talk of sharing, storytelling, authenticity. We can chat about ad blocking or native any other week. We know mobile is big, that IM will change life. Let's not look back at work from 12 months ago, from briefs from 24 months ago, from business problems understood from data from 36 months ago. Let's go to the electronic markets of Shenzhen or the farmers markets of Tanzania. Let's talk about the rise of fear in politics, the inevitability of the universal basic income, the morality of software, or what happens to meaning in a world of outsourcing jobs to robots. This could be your week of the year to get uncomfortable. Maybe it's this emotion that makes us all better. So I liked that, and I hope it's inspired you to look at something different today. Adobe during Can Lion released some interesting stats about what people are doing at the same time as watching TV. The full image is on the companion page, but 63% are working on a laptop. There's lots of social media related ones. So 39% are scrolling their social media feed. 21% are following social media during an awards show or a sports event. And 38% search or shop for something after watching a commercial. 
And finally, there was another brilliant blog by Jerry Dakin this week, again following Can Lyons, where he was talking about how one of the new kids on the block could actually be seen as Twitter because it's so evolved and changed over recent years and he thinks that agencies and brands need to update their strategic and planning approaches accordingly so i'll just read you a little bit from it so far from being a text limited platform it is now a rich visual and video opportunity with meaningful global scale driven not only by active users but the true wider reach of the service By the end of the year, millions of users will be watching live NFL broadcasts on the platform alongside, no doubt, a range of other partners. The potential opportunities to serve targeted advertising in and around such streams whilst building out a live interactive experience for consumers is going to open up a completely new side of Twitter. Whilst there remains an opportunity to think about Twitter as a social destination or a real-time marketing outlet, there's a far bigger benefit to marketers who can reframe it as a premium visual and online video for campaigns and always-on activity alike. Twitter has a premium influential audience that comes to the platform each day to see what's new in the world they care about. With guaranteed viewable video impressions, advertisers can reach real people alongside their key passions every day in a brand safe environment. The audience available has increased enormously over the past year from a few hundred million to over a billion monthly users when you factor in the new extended reach products. The opportunity to target Twitter's addressable logged out audience and their Twitter audience platform makes them a top scale digital partner in almost every country worldwide, including those where historically lower active users have been a barrier to entry. For those nervous about the continual shift towards digital, Twitter keeps an undeniable connection to more traditional media. Conversations remain driven by popular TV shows and the news agenda is still often set by activity here. It provides a powerful opportunity both to increase the impact of traditional media buys and to extend their reach to those who otherwise wouldn't have seen the activity at all. I really agree with him. I think Twitter is a great opportunity for marketeers. I don't think that it's um, on its way out. There was obviously the RIP Twitter hashtag that its own users were using earlier this year or maybe towards the back end of last year. But I think it has great potential and it's definitely a channel that I would recommend, especially from its targeting opportunities. Each week I end the show with a short guide to a different topic. It might be how something works or delving into a particular buzzword. This week I'm focusing on the art of the retweet on Twitter, which was the topic of a blog that I wrote recently. So if you're already a digital expert and you just wanted the news, you can stop listening now. Goodbye, have a fab week. And for those of you still listening, let's get cracking on the art of the retweet. So as you might have guessed, I'm a pretty big fan of Twitter. It is one of my favorite places, but I do see quite a lot of frustrating behavior from both brands and individuals in the public eye when it comes to a retweet. So a retweet is where you can repost a tweet that someone else has written to your followers. And I recently wrote a list of tips in terms of how to retweet. So the first one is beware the bulk retweet. And I think that was what prompted me to write the blog in the first place was that I'd gone on to Twitter on a Monday morning and you can clearly see when a brand has perhaps not had anybody monitoring the uh, Twitter account over the weekend and they come in and they suddenly 
flood their followers' timelines with tweets from two days ago, 17 hours ago. Food brands especially, this doesn't look good because perhaps if people have tweeted about using a particular food in their supper or their dinner, that's then getting retweeted at breakfast time and it absolutely doesn't make sense. So if you're not monitoring it all the time and you come back and you see that you've got some great things, I think either you have to accept that you've missed the boat and just don't retweet them or perhaps favourite them and then seed them out over a few days at the right time of day and just drop the odd ones in. The second piece of advice is to use quote tweet to be smarter. So if you think about the fact that, well, firstly, social media is about a two-way communication with your follower and customers, it's far better actually to quote their tweet and comment back to them. So if someone has posted a picture of them wearing your range of shirts or something, then you could say, oh, thanks so much. It looks fabulous on you or something that's relevant to their tweet that's likely to build a stronger relationship with them. The other good thing about quoting a tweet is that that tweet then appears from you and your avatar and your followers timeline. Otherwise, if you just retweet people, especially if you do bulk retweets, it's just a lot of random people's names that the person who's seen it in their newsfeed didn't necessarily choose to follow and so they might not realise who it is and it could just annoy them. The other thing to bear in mind for that is that if people are looking at your page to decide what you tweet about before they decide to follow you, you don't want them to be confronted with a whole page of tweets by other people and nothing from you. The other tip is that too much positivity can be a bad thing. So don't just select tweets where people say lovely stuff about you. Think about it in a real life scenario. That would just be so annoying if you were speaking to someone who kept saying, well, of course, so-and-so said I looked great in that outfit the other day. And uh, oh yeah, Jemima thinks I'm really funny and blah, 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 you know. So if you're going to requote positive comments, that's fine. But maybe also quote tweet a negative one and answer the person's question or offer to try and make things better so that you're giving a more balanced perspective of your brand. And then timing is everything. So I see brands retweet things at really random times of day, especially smaller brands where I think probably it's the business owner themselves that also looks after the social media. So I can sometimes see small brands retweeting loads of stuff at midnight and it's just such a shame because it's clearly that they've got to the end of the day and they've come online and thought, oh yeah, I should retweet that. But the life of a tweet is so short in terms of the speed at which people's news feeds work, you're not gonna get the audience that that deserves. So think about the peak time Peak times might be different depending on who you are or what your brand is. Parents, for example, are quite active on social media after about nine when they've put the kids to bed. So if it's like a toy brand or something, maybe that's a good time for you. Maybe it could be the morning. Look at television viewing habits of your target audience, that kind of thing, and make sure that you are posting content at the right time for them. Also be relevant in terms of your retweets. So when you're retweeting it, just check on the trending topics to make sure that it's not gonna get lost. You know, if there is a big conversation, for example, at the moment, most of the conversation on Twitter is either around the Euros 
or around the EU referendum. So you're going to get lost if you're retweeting content that's got nothing to do with either of those. So think about when a good time would be to post it. And finally, it's useful to think of it like the real world. Twitter is a large community of people chatting to each other about a whole range of topics and think about how you fit into that. So don't just walk into a room and start telling everybody how fabulous you are. Think about, is this a valuable thing to retweet to my followers? The other thing that I struggle with is when people retweet a tweet saying to follow someone. So say, for example, I said, oh, I love at so-and-so's new single, you should definitely follow them. That's silly for that person to retweet that because they're only retweeting it to people that are already following them. So think about that as well. So my overall tip is gauge the mood and then engage the audience. So that's it for the digital download for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Please do tell me what you think about it at Kate Hamer Limited on Twitter or Kate at KateHamer.com on email. Do subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review. Need to get back into the business podcast chart. So any help would be appreciated and I will be back next week. Bye.